Hey, buddy, do you want to say a few words about this show before uh, people give it a listen? Yeah, I want to encourage everybody, if they want to uh, to learn more about the uh, Albums Are Dead podcast, to go to albumsaredead.com or visit us on twitter.com slash albumsaredead, on Facebook, again, slash albumsaredead, and uh, where else? We're on Instagram, uh, and if you look for Albums Are Dead on Instagram, how about that? We'll also be there. We're also on iTunes, and... Uh, I think right now that's the only place we are. We're going to try to eventually get to like Google Play, Spotify, all that. But on most podcatchers, if you type in Albums Are Dead, uh, you're going to find us. Tell me, uh, do we make money doing this show? We do not make any money doing this show. And uh, all the songs that we play on the show are for preview purposes only. So make sure to go and support the artists. Even if they don't need support, it's still the right thing to do. Go uh, stream their music legally or buy the tracks because uh, we want to keep above board, folks. All right, folks, uh, with all that being said, I think we should get to our episode. What do you think? Let's do it. Yeah, see, now Mario right here is chilling with us. See, a lot of people, this studio here, we built like this studio with my man Mario and, uh, and keyboard money Mark, our he's, keyboard he's player. He's not here right now. He's not completely with us right now, but you know he'll be with us on the tour and everything. But anyway, so these guys helped us like build like we had the time but we didn't really have the knowledge so i gotta give mario kind of you know giving us the construction skills necessary for building our own spot yep then we got us involved you know me on the funky business administrative tip you know hooking up the beats and you got adam the wah yauk you know going off and everything so really you know that's how it came together, basically. And you're the caterer, you're like in charge of cuisine? Well, yeah, and that makes it down to division of labor. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that goes on in making an album that people don't have a clue about. See, people don't understand how important the cuisine is when you're recording an album, too. So that's why, you know, that's why Yauk. You doing that this week? Oh, that's cool. Well, what cuisine would describe this album? Check your head. If you had to pick a cuisine. Albums are dead. Don't get excited. That's that song is not about your favorite uh, WCW wrestler of all time. Oh shoot! The maestro. Oh god. Or my favorite Canadian rapper of all time. That's right. Uh, no, it is not. Uh, you're going to tell everybody though what it's all about uh, later on in this episode. So stay tuned for that with your yeah, friends. Yeah, about about what two minutes from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With your pals, slip with five eyes or slip. I am at nextmix.com, and it has been a while. We've been we've been on vacation, so to speak. Yeah, we have, and uh, I think it's been we took a two week hiatus from this show, which is the longest hiatus we've taken in the prestigious nineteen episode history as of this. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so much feedback. Hey guys, where are you? Like, yeah, I, I I don't I don't know any other albums. I only get my album information from yes. this show. Exactly. Yeah, and. <laughs> We're depriving the masses. Yeah, so we've come back, and uh, we have been doing homework while we have been away, and we are ready to hit you all up over the course of the rest of this month with plenty of album goodness, where, again, Mm -hmm. uh, on this show where we review an album in detail every week. Yes, indeed, and uh, I'm uh, I'm particularly excited for this week, and uh, you probably noticed we are going to be talking Beastie Boys' Check Your Head, it's in the it's in the, the title of the of the uh, of the episode and the picture that you'll see. So <laughs> I, I don't think that we're that we're swerving you or playing a trick when we say it's Beastie Boys. Check your head, and uh, very excited. Yeah, we've so. dropped we've dropped plenty of hints, so you should know. Uh, this this is uh, your album this week. Yes. It is a, uh, a megamix.com taking the lead. Uh, yes. Can I ask you some questions? Before we yes, get started can. about this album, yes. can you Excellent. can you guess what I'm going to ask? Yes, but ask anyway. Uh, number one, Beastie Boys. 
Yes. Have you seen them? I have not. And that's a pretty standard response when, it's, when, when I'm involved. Uh, have you seen them? The answer is, yes, I have. Yes, you have. Tell us when. 2008, about a week before the election of President Barack Obama in the U.S., they had a uh, Rock the Vote tour, kind of a last-minute thing that was put together with um, Ben Harper, Tenacious D, and Beastie Boys as the headliners. Nice. So I saw them at the, uh, what's it called, Roy Wilkins Auditorium in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, and it was a very good show. Um, I would be, during that time period, some of the concerts that you see are, I mean, those are labors of love. I mean, you lived in Winnipeg where nothing rolls through here, so to go out and see these artists, you you got to travel, so good on you. Yeah, and there I forget there was another thing happening that weekend too. So you know, made a made a whole weekend out of it. But uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, at that show there was indeed a lot of throwing hands in the air and waving them like we don't care. Oh God, I can imagine. And uh, you know, you go through the catalog of Beastie Boys, and there's a whole lot of that kind of stuff. So uh, guaranteed that was going on. Uh, what is your second question? My second question for you, and yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna swerve you with this one. Okay. Tell me about your fandom of Beastie Boys and of this album. Oof. Oh, excellent. I, I was anticipating that. I actually have a, in my extensive notes, and they are extensive, um, I have uh, a thing under personal, oh. which says ad lib. So so here, here it is. <laughs> oh, you're, you're going to, um, okay, you're riffing Obviously, uh, you know, growing up, um, I mean, Beastie Boys were on the radar probably around 1988. I was a little young in 86 to kind of be totally into the Beastie Boys. But, you know, I, I had heard, you know, of their songs, specifically Girls, and a um, and a parody Al- Weird Al Yankovic-style song called Squirrels. So <laughs> Jesus. I knew of the Beastie Boys. Um, but my first real uh, Beastie Boys fandom came uh, on rap tracks with Fight for Your Right to Party. Of course. Uh, in about 1988. And uh, I was like, hey, these guys are, 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 are awesome. This song is awesome, uh, back when I was that age. Um, and then kind of they kind of dropped off the radar. And then this album came out in 1992. And it was like, wait, wait a minute. They're like cool skateboarders now. <laughs> and so I, was, I got this album uh, probably a couple months after it came out. And... Uh, Fucking loved it, and uh, Beastie Boys one of my favorites ever since, um, and and have since kind of gotten into Paul's boutique and re, you know kind of um, explored that part of their catalog um, from this album, Check Your Head, which came out in uh, what April, April twenty first, nineteen ninety two, April twenty first, yeah. Uh, I of course have have many different mixtapes throughout my life. Uh, I started them in about September ninety two. Well, I really started. I had two that, that preceded my, my official series. So I started in like late 91, but I only so you had, had two. You had like two unofficial bootleg uh, mixtapes before mixed. before the official yes. Mega Mix series began? Essentially, yes. Crazy. And so um, from from Check Your Head, nine different tracks from Check Your Head appeared on, uh, made it onto mixtapes of mine between November 92 and November 93. So it was a prolific album for me in my, uh, in my, in my teenage years. Well, so, uh, <laughs> that's almost kind of, that's almost half of the tracks on this album. So good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but come on. I mean, making mixes, that's not bad from an album. Gotta say. No, that's anyway, fine. That's my personal uh, feeling uh, on this album. I'm kind of kicking myself because I, w- I was going through all the stuff and, 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 and I, I went on a bit of a kick and it was uh, the, the Beastie Boys released a book. And uh, I'm very excited to get my dirty mitts on it, but I asked for it for Christmas, so I'll have to wait. Oh, can you? You're so impatient too, right? I'm so impatient. I want. I want it so bad. It's such a. It's such a gem. But anyway, so I've been. I've been doing. You know. Um, I was. I was. I've been doing a lot of watching, like their, um, the the bootleg uh, recordings of them, like doing their book tour, because uh, Mike Dean Adderock do like a ridiculous, like uh, they have a stage set up and they they have uh, Nick Spencer Mike is there, you know, on the cut, you know, and whatever. And they're telling, telling, you know, they're, they're swapping road stories, you know, <laughs> like they're Kevin Nash or something. Uh-huh. And um, anyway, that kind of got, and then I was like, I was watching the Strombo interview and, you know, I kind of, I, I was, I was, uh, you know, delving into that. And then, 
and then uh, and then of course I start you know listening to the albums and kind of getting into it again. And, I, and then I watched the Punk Singer, which is about uh, Kathleen Hanna and, and Ad Rock's wife. And then I was you know I, I did the whole thing. And then I was like, well, we got to check your head because I'm, I'm kind of in that mode right now. And I started you know looking back at, at all the at all the albums that I've had and all the you know all the highly rated songs of theirs that I have in my in my library. As I was like. Of like three years ago, we did like our top twenty-five artists. Yep, I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't include Beastie Boys in there. So we'll have to redo that sometime on our sister show, this Mezzanine Sleepover. Just so like, that kind of drove me with some corrections to that list because I would make some changes too. Absolutely, but you are, but um, but you are like you even though you didn't put them on your list, you're no Johnny Come Lately when it comes to Beastie Boys. No, probably not. I'm not the authority by any means, um, but I mean, I had. I had like on CD. I had like the Root Down EP and like the In Sounds from Way Out. Like I, I, I was a, I wasn't a completist, but I was. I would try and get my hands on as much as I could up until about to the Five Boroughs, and then you know things kind of slowed down for them. And then I actually didn't get into Hot Sauce Committee Part Two until a few years ago, and it's actually quite a good album. So I would recommend anybody to check it out. Uh, it's it's the last Beastie Boys album, uh, the eighth and final one, and uh, definitely go check it out. I would say. I'm a semi-completist, and I'd say I know a decent amount. I did some good research, so I think it's going to be a good show. Um, yourself, uh, any any connection with Beastie Boys throughout your uh, musical life? Not nearly like yours. My connection with them is almost strictly on the surface. Yeah. Uh, familiar with what you would consider to be singles. And, yes. And hits. Yes. And songs that were used in our wrestling federation as as theme music. Uh, <laughs> and uh and other than that uh not not too uh not too deep uh definitely i mean i can't call myself a fan because i haven't gone that deep though i have again seen yeah. them in in concert uh yeah. certainly uh would not turn off the radio when their music plays i'm like oh yeah that's good you know and yeah. uh but that's that's probably about as far as it goes. So this one is going to be probably quite a bit of learning for the Slipman on this on this yeah, well, show. Got to, to drop some science on you tonight on, on on albums are dead. Yes, and of course, in preparation for this episode, uh, have spent a good portion of the last couple of weeks giving this uh, one a listen from uh, cover to cover, <laughs> and uh, pretty uh, you know pretty fucking great. I'm not you know it's good times. Excellent, a, a good time being had. So, awesome. So let's. I'm going to run the tail of the tape down for for you and the, and the listeners here. All right, BC do it. Boys, check your head. Um, released on April 21st, 1992, on Capitol Records. Um, the album is at, at 20 big tracks. Um, it's got a 53 minute and 29 second runtime. So we got a lot of nice uh, nice short ones on here. Um, a Japanese version uh, contained four bonus tracks, and a 2009 reissue contained a bonus disc with 16 tracks that included live versions, remixes, and B sides. We will be talking about the actual 1992 release uh, today on the show. All right. Um, Check Your Head was the group's third studio album. It peaked at number 10 on the U.S. Billboard 200 on May 9th, 1992, just behind uh, Nirvana's Nevermind, which was at number nine. Um, Number one that week, Def Leppard's Adrenalize. Oof, what a week. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. As much as we love Def Leppard, uh, the world was changing, and... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Adrenalize is, I mean, they're on their last legs. Um, overall, uh, Check Your Head spent uh, 36 weeks on the Billboard chart. It also peaked at number 37 on the U.S. top R&B and hip-hop albums. Um, Check Your Head was certified double platinum, though I don't have actually have an official source. Outside of one sentence on their main Wikipedia entry, uh-huh. Wikipedia, sorry. Yeah, please. I said it wrong. What site are you on talking about? Wiki- Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what on the Wiki, it says it has nothing about sales on the actual Check Your Head entry, but has a one line talking about double platinum. So I assume it's somewhere around that. Of course, the album was uh, the the Beastie Boys uh, saw an uptick after the death of uh, Adam MCA Yauk, but um, they uh, so that number might not be totally current because they did sell a couple, uh, you know, a good a good almost a million copies of their various albums throughout that time. So. Um, I, that's unverified. The album uh, features all three members on vocals, obviously, but uh, additionally, Ad Rock, uh, which is uh, Adam Horvitz, uh, played guitar. Mike Diamond, aka Mike D, was on drums, and as we said, MCA Adam Yauk played uh, played bass. So they've got some instrumentation in there on this album. 
uh, Mark Nishida, a.k.a. Money Mark, uh, most notably provided additional instrumentation, including organ, synthesizer, keyboards, clavinet, and Wurlitzer. So um, the album co-produced by the Beastie Boys and Mario Caldato Jr. The Beastie Boys were um, returning somewhat stylistically to their punk roots, playing their own instruments for the first time on record since their early EPs. So um, that's kind of the tale of the tape. Uh, we're, t- we're not talking a monster album in terms of sales, but it was definitely a well-regarded album at the time, especially in that kind of um, nascent alternative rock era. And uh, it definitely has uh, a lot of staying power in people's minds. So unless you have anything else, I mean, we got 20 tracks. The Wickeye lists the genre as hip-hop, yes. rap, rock, Yes. Punk, rap, and alternative yes. rock. And I would say all four of them, pretty true. Not, it's not bad. And, and the Wiccai, which is known for some ridiculous genre yeah. um, uh, uh, categorizations. That, that one's pretty spot on. So, uh, but you are yeah. correct. This is 20 tracks, so... <laughs> We're not going to go track by track, actually. Sorry, I have some background. Oh. And some quotes and some clips. So we're, we're not going to talk track by track yet. Um, let's talk a little bit of background about Check Your Head, shall we? Do it. Well, actually, let's talk, let's talk a little background about the Beastie Boys first. Um, Beastie Boys, uh, for those who don't know. <laughs> who are these Beastie Boys? Yes. The Beastie Boys started out as a New York punk band. By uh, 1983, their lineup comprised of Mike Diamond, Adam Yauch, uh, Kate Schellenbach, and Adam Horowitz. Uh, they started experimenting with hip-hop elements and in March of that year, 1983, uh, cut their now classic Cookie Puss 12-inch. I was going to play a clip of Cookie Puss, but uh, when I was putting my clips together uh, this afternoon at lunch, I couldn't download it off my iCloud, so I'm upset about that. But that's okay. Um, uh, go check out Cookie Puss if you, uh, unless you can get your dirty mitts on it. Uh, hold on here. Beastie Boys. Let's do some uh, Cookie Puss. So Spotify him. Uh, I might have it right here. Let's see what we got. Patience, 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 my bad. Paciente. Oh, we're gonna. We got. We got an ad that's gonna play. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Oh, good. The, the volume's down. <laughs> here we go. Here we Oh, they're heard. Yo, I said I'm calling you, mate. So anyway, that's Cookie Puss. Uh, essentially, it is a um, a beat and uh, a uh, Frank phone call to the Carvel Ice Cream Company. All right. It's like Jerky Boy style. It's kind of like Rosine. <laughs> All right. But yeah, so essentially, it's they. It's a prank phone call to the Carvel Ice Cream Company company talking as if their famous cookie puss ice cream cake is an actual person uh-huh. um so this actually um becomes a little bit of a minor hit around 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 uh, brooklyn or new york um in february 1984 the now legendary uh, producer rick rubin uh joined the joined the bc boys as dj double r nice and uh he provided the group with rudimentary dj skills that they needed to perform cookie puss live as it had become a minor hit as i said um, Ruben's role, however, it kind of began to mourn a little bit. Uh, and again, this is Cole's notes, folks. Like, uh, there's there's a lot of resources out there that'll give you the full story if you want to read it. Just go check it out somewhere. Uh, Google it. Uh, Ruben's what, role began to mourn a little bit. What a great podcast, by the way. <laughs> People come to hear about the album, we're like, go look it up. Well, no, if you want a real deep, uh, 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 like, if you want to take a deep, deep dive into it, you, you can do that. I'm giving you kind of like, I'm skimming, a, I'm skimming it a little bit. All right, uh, Rick Rubin. Uh, of course, kind of transitioned out of DJing a little bit and because he wasn't very good. Um, and he arranged for the group to leave their management and label that they were on. They were on, I believe, uh, a label run out of Rat Cage. The Rat Cage uh, record store was a punk record store that had a little label and they cut records and, uh, and kind of arranged for them to meet with Russell Simmons and join uh, the uh, fledgling Def Jam Records. Um, by the end of 84, uh, Kate Schellenbach left the group and uh, they were left with the three of them, which is the, the core of the Beastie Boys group. Um, also, sometime in late, late 1984, they released their first single on Def Jam, a song called Rock Hard, which I have a clip of. Oh, nice. 
Definitely sounds like 1984. <laughs> yep. Keep this sample. Yes. Nice. That's Ross Hart, their first single. Um, of course, the single would later be withdrawn from circulation because of the uncleared sample of ACDC's Back in Black. Uh-huh. In fact, the band, when the, when the group put um, uh, did their 1999 anthology, Sounds of Science, they all weren't allowed to include the single, the song. ACDC all wouldn't let them. They'd all be calling the dudes from ACDC, all begging them to let them use it on their on their greatest hits, and they're all no. <laughs> So uh, that's rock hard. Uh, in April 85, the Beastie Boys grab an opening slot on Madonna's Like a Virgin tour. Uh, they are not well received. I was going to say, and like, they, weird, what a weird duo, right? Like, Oh, yeah. They, they all caused madness. Well, and people were so angry. And the Beastie Boys all played such heels. I would hope so. Because the thing at this point is that the Beastie Boys are, uh, you know, and, and we're getting to License to Ill, which is going to be... Uh, in a little bit, but they, they kind of, they kind of play up this character. They, they're playing heel characters throughout these first, like, like three or four years of their, of their existence. Yeah. Because they're and like, they're people super, are all just buying it. They're super saucy, right? Like that's their yeah. thing. Exactly. Um, so that tour, they, they cause, they cause all sorts of chaos. Uh, the, the teeny boppers and the audience hate them. Uh, in October 85, the group does a brief cameo in the film crush groove. And contributes the song "She's On It" to the movie soundtrack. Um, I didn't bring a clip, but uh, I would suggest any, everybody watch the horribly outdated video for "She's On It," uh-huh. which of course features the Beastie Boys pursuing a bikini-clad woman and slipping her Spanish fly. <laughs> um, in May '86, they, their single "Hold It Now, Hit It" is released, and they join Houdini, Timex Social Club, and LL Cool J as openers on Run DMC's "Raising Hell" tour. Oh. If my I, if, God, if only. Oh my God, I'm all nine years old. <laughs> Not even nine. I didn't. I didn't even know this existed. The I worst. Guess. The worst part about all that is the one band that really stands out for me. There is Timex Social Club. <laughs> I want to hear them play "Rumors" so badly. <laughs> it's all a song awesome. about how rumors are bad. What a lesson. Oh. Anyways. So I mean, Houdini, friends. How many others have them? Oh. Oh, and, and some LL Cool J with Going Back to Cali. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, November uh, 15th, 1986, the Beastie Boys debut album, License to Ill, is released, and they blow up. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on License to Ill. Everybody knows License to Ill. The album spawns seven singles, becomes the first rap album to top the Billboard album chart. It was certified diamond in the U.S. in 2015 for shipping over 10 million copies. So a monster album. Um. Uh, frustrations over royalties lead to the group leaving Def Jam in October 1987. Uh, by 1980, uh, Def Jam sues them. The Beastie Boys sue Def Jam. It's all pretty messy. Uh, by 1988, the Beastie Boys' popularity uh, has chilled significantly. Uh, newly signed by Capitol Rep- Records and having relocated to Los Angeles, they join up with the Dust Brothers to record their follow-up, the uh, the ridiculously good Paul's Boutique. Here's a clip of my favorite track off Paul's Boutique, Car Thief. <laughs> All these intros. My God. Take forever. Yeah, that intro also heard on uh, Faithful Lord. Like, right? Anyway. So, nice. this is Car Thief. Great song. My favorite line is when Ad Rock says, when, I, I believe it's towards the end, Mike D says, like, uh, they're talking about buying their Chiba from a cop. And then the Ad Rock says, it's the only cop with a rope chain walking the beat. Awesome. <laughs> yes. um, Paul's Boutique, of course, is now considered a landmark hip-hop album, but at the time, such a commercial flop. I believe that, um, and, and they've, they've said this in interviews, at one point, Capitol Records is like, okay, great, you have an album, but, you know, we're really... Um, you know, we're really putting our weight behind this Donny Osmond album that's coming out. <laughs> in 1989. Nice. 
So, uh, you know, Paul's Boutique kind of, uh, they, they don't even tour for this album. Like, it just it gets, they make one video, I believe, for Hey Ladies. Uh, it's, it's pretty much a flop. Um, it, but it is landmark in its, uh, its production, as use so many goddamn samples. It was like, the, it's the album when people talk about sampling that, like, like, pretty much blew it all open and ruined it all at the same time. So Nice. Um, fast forward to 1990. Um, here's a quote from Mike D. Uh, in Flood Magazine in 2017. We just made something we were very proud of, so we were crushed by the fact that no one seemed into it. Um, he's talking about Paul's Boutique. Nobody at the record company wanted to have anything to do with us, he continues. So it gave us this total freedom in this vacuum in which we could create Check Your Head. If it were an anticipated record, they would have wanted to hear what was going on. But no one was fucking paying attention, so we could do what we wanted. Uh, because of that failure, we had nothing but time on our hands, Diamond says. Every day, our ritual was to wake up, have coffee, eat breakfast, smoke pot, go record shopping, and get inspired. See, at this point, before making Paul's Boutique, when they broke from Def Jam, they moved to L.A. So it all just had, they've, they've relocated here. Um, also in the Flood Magazine piece, uh, they say this. To reconnect with the humble radicalism that had provided their original guiding light, the band returned to the instruments they played when they were still a hardcore band, goofing on other hardcore bands in the downtown scene. Horvitz played guitar, Yauk bass, and Diamond drums. And while they were still able to bash, um, they didn't limit themselves to orthodoxy of any kind. So they were unorthodox. <laughs> but did they deliver beatings? <laughs> is the question. <laughs> exactly. Jamming first in a Horvitz's Hollywood apartment with producer Mario Caldado Jr. and keyboardist Money Mark Mark Nishida. And then at Cole Rehearsal Studios nearby, they'd run through funk workouts inspired by the JBs with Nishida's versatile keyboard work rounding out and rooting their sound. Uh, eventually, Caldado noted that they would rent a space and build their own studio for a fraction of the cost of a professional room. So they found a rental in a former ballroom of a, above a drugstore on Glendale Boulevard in the then humble neighborhood of Atwater Village. Uh, Nishida, who was a carpenter by day, as they reference in the clip at the start of the show, uh, installed a basketball hoop and a half pipe and occasionally slept in the space. Caldado, Caldado filled it out with equipment. Outside, a sign proclaimed the name of a previous tenant, Gilson. But in a tidy, tidally poetic move, the winds of change or sheer entropy had worn away the IL. G-Sun Studios was born. So um, Caldado says, we set everything up and a lot of times... We wouldn't even make music. Uh, the Brazilian-born producer had engineered Paul's Boutique and would go on to produce Ill Communication and Hello Nasty after Check Your Head. Late-night sessions would be booked only to devolve into record-listening parties. We were all deep into the music, so everyone would go shopping individually and show off bags of records every night. God. Imagine you all just get a big hit album and spend your days all just buying records. Oh, so fun. Jesus. What a life. What, what have we done with our lives? I know, right? Working fucking de working nine to five jobs. Let's we should have pursued our rap dreams. <laughs> exactly. Well, you probably had rap dreams. I did. That's for another podcast. All right, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I didn't actually have real rap dreams. We were it would they were super fake. Um, we'd be playing basketball, and listening to records by Sly Stone, Stone, James Brown, and Lee Scratch Perry. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, they continue in between recording sessions. Adam Young traveled to Nepal and was deeply affected by the Chinese forcibly removing Tibetans from their native land. When he returned to, to G-Sun, uh, Diamond told Flood, it immediately shifted our awareness and our consciousness to a large degree, and that became a guiding or changing thing on the record. So that gives you a little feel for what's going on. Um, Stereo Gum had a write-up uh, of the 20th anniversary of uh, Check Your Head in 2012, and they kind of summed it up here. And I'm going to read this before we go into our track-by-track -track breakdown, because I think it's pretty succinct. Sounds good. It's pretty succinct. Uh, the Beastie Boys had been one hell of a roller coaster, had been on one hell of a roller coaster before they settled into their Check Your Head groove. With License to Ill six years earlier, their goofy frat rap joke had turned them into an international phenomenon, and they'd played a huge role in popularizing rap music, a genre that were maybe a, a little that they were maybe a little sh uh, bit short sort of mocking after a shit storm of attention they moved west regrouped and given the world's uh, Paul's boutique their absolute masterpiece only to see it utterly brick commercially suddenly they were faded stars even though they were they were barely into their mid-20s and so they regrouped again workshopping about five different entirely new sounds and then jumbling them all together on one album that sense of jumble would become their lasting legacy or the most important part of their many lasting legacies. Check Your Head isn't their best album, but it may be their most essential and characteristic one. So with that, big man, 
Let's break it down. Oh, yes. All right. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, yes. Let's see track one. Here we go. This next one is the first song on our new album. Oh, it's so rapping. Anyway, long intro. Uh, Jimmy James, everybody. Yeah, the first track on Check Your Head. Also, the third single. Released on August 28, 1992 as a single. Uh, didn't chart in the U.S., but uh, hit number 55 on the U.K. singles chart. So. Oh, nice. Um, it's important to note here, folks, that the album version is actually different from the single. Here's a clip of the uh, single. I, I provided that for you. You can hear right off the start the difference. To the uh, when they when they when the record comes in here and starts crashing. Yes. So <clears throat> the the uh, original version, which is the single version, uh, the track originally contained samples of sev- several Jimi Hendrix songs. Uh, including, and here we go, here's the list, Are You Experienced, EXP, Third Stone from the Sun, Foxy Lady, Happy Birthday, and Still uh, still Raining, Still Dreaming, and of course, Voodoo Child, Slight Return. Um, but the group couldn't get clearance from the Hendrix estate for most of those tracks in time for the album release, so it was rearranged, and that's what kicks off the album. Uh, the Happy Birthday and Foxy Lady samples remained, uh, uh, which was weird, but um, Hendrix's family then apparently finally relented, and the single was released with the original samples restored. So the single version is, is actually markedly different from the album version. It doesn't have the intro, which is a, uh, a clip from Cheap Trick at Budokan uh, uh, introducing Surrender. Um, that was the intro on the LP version. <clears throat> Other samples used on this song. Rockin' It by The Fearless Four. Beat Bop by Ramel Z and K-Rob. Fresh is the Word by Mantronics featuring MCT. I'm Chief Kamanawanalea, uh, we're the Royal Macadamia Nuts by the Turtles. <laughs> and of course, as I mentioned, the surrender clip uh, from the live uh, Cheap Trick at Budokan uh, are the samples used in this song. The B-sides to the single, uh, the single version of the track um, with the Hendrix samples are restored. Uh, the um, An album version of The Maestro, which we heard at the top of the show. The LP version of the track, a song called The Boomin' Granny. An original, original version of Jimmy James, which is an extended instrumental version, and another instrumental track called Drinkin' Wine. Um, <clears throat> I have actually something else here. Ah, in, 20, in 2009, uh, Pop Matters writer Sean Murphy had this to say about Jimmy James. <clears throat> Special mention must be made of the group's tribute to Jimi Hendrix, the moment when all these elements come together. Jimmy James is certainly one of the ultimate opening statements of any album made in the last two decades, and it still reverberates as the shot heard around the record industry. Okay. Listening to this one then was an immediate announcement that we weren't in Brooklyn anymore. And listening to it now is an unnerving reminder of how many bands, the good, the bad, and the awful, tried to imitate this hardcore rap rock amalgamation with little success. Of course, the boys themselves emulated the great Run DMC. Obviously, they understood they could never sound as authoritative or make it sound as effortless. Think it's tricky. On the other hand, Jimmy James sounds quite unlike anything else anyone else had done or has done building a sound structure from the ground up all on a groove from an obscure Curtis Knight song, which was happy birthday featuring Hendrix. Um, it anticipates Beck and the full fruition of live music married to samples on Beck's dust brothers produce Odelay. Here are the six sounds of the B-boys science coalesce the Ross scratching and brilliant sampling. Blah, blah, blah. There was a music video, big man. Oh, music videos. Yes. Yes. My, I, I my never ears, talked about it. My ears perk up like a dog. Yes. Um, it was credited to Adam, Adam Yelk's alter ego uh, named Nathaniel, Nathaniel Hornblower. It is a classic look from this era with the fisheye lens and the washed out effects. Not much to it, but, you know, it's got that look. Like it came right out of a, a, a video you could purchase in Thrasher magazine. Beauty. Uh, let's move on to track two. Here we go. You gotta love the percussion. I'm thinking. 
Oh, we got some bongo. Oh, yeah. You love this song. Well, clocking it at 136, Funky Boss is a Kid Tetris favorite. Yes. Yeah. So Kid Tetris loves Funky Boss. Um, it features Beastie Boys on guitar, drums, and bass, and Money Mark on the keys. And for a song that's a minute and 36 seconds, let me run down the samples for you. Okay. We got uh, Funky Worm by the Ohio Players. We got Under Me Sensi by Barrington Levy. Solomon Agande by Big Youth. Acid by Richard Pryor. Showdown by Thin Lizzy. Return of Django by The Upsetters. And Duppy Conquer by The Wailers. In one minute and 36 seconds. Exactly. Um, today I was uh, just trying to compile my last little uh, notes here. And I was, I was I went to song meetings. Oh, and yes. God, that sucks to try and access because it's terrible. It's like always so slow. But I did find for a couple songs some comments. Over at songmeetings.com, commenter Slick21 had this to say about Funky Boss. Direct and to the point, who hasn't felt this way at least once or twice? Best song ever. Ever? Of all time. That's quite a statement. Okay. Funky Boss. Funky Boss, my favorite song. Funky Boss. (laughs) I mean, it's a good song for, you know, kind of, it's a little bit of a throwaway novelty, but it's it's good, but I, I wouldn't put it in. Like, best song ever. But anyway, so that's Funky Boss, folks. Let's move on to Track Trace. We got Bass the Mike. So this is the first single off the album, released on April 7th, 1992. Peaked at uh, number 38 on the Billboard Hot Dance Music slash Maxi Dash single sales chart. It also peaked at number 47 on the UK singles charts. All right. Um, The samples of this one include The Black Princess Arrived by Jimmy Walker, Big Takeover by Bad Brains, so What You Saying by EPMD, Big Sir Sweet by Johnny Hammond, I Walk the Gilded Splinters by Johnny Jenkins, Tax Free by Hendrix, and Choir by James Newton. Now, about that James Newton sample, uh, that is the flute at the start of the song and throughout. Um, the song was subject of the landmark Newton vs. Diamond case, in which the band was found not liable for infringement of copyright on the underlying composition of a three-note, six-second sample recording of James Newton's Choir. The group had paid Newton's record label for the use of the sound recording in 92, but were later sued when he felt the rest of the song that he wrote should have been licensed. Uh, a judge did not agree and ruled in favor of the Beastie Boys. Nice. So a little legalese there for you here on Albums Are Dead. Uh, the B-sides to the single, an instrumental called Dub the Mic, a song called Trunken Pring, Mantis Style, a song called Pass the Mic Part 2, The Skills to Pay the Bills, and a song called Nettie's Girl. Um, my favorite part of Pass the Mic... Uh, is the line from Mike D where he says, everybody's rapping like it's a commercial, acting like life is a big commercial. The second part of the line was supposed to be acting like life is a big rehearsal, but this was edited as a way to goof on Mike D and was left on the final version of the track. <laughs> <laughs> and on song meetings, commenter Jabatron said, an amazing, so- an, an amzing song to think it came from a freestyle. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Best song ever. Pass the mic. There you go. Essentially, they pass the mic and brag. Oh, that's what that's yeah, rapping about is. How much they rock the mic, and there's a lot of talk about TikToking. Are you telling me? Are you telling me that rappers made a song about full of bravado and about how good they are at <laughs> rapping? They can rock a house party till your hair turns gray. What an odd subject for rap. Exactly. Um, track four. We got gratitude. 
uh, the fourth single released on October 4th, 1992. Uh, it was released primarily to modern rock radio, and it did not chart. Probably not unsurprisingly. Uh, the B-sides to this uh, to this track, a live version of Stand Together, uh, a good government cheese remix of the song Finger Looking Good. All right. A, a live version of Gratitude, and a track, you'll like this, a track called Honky Rink. <laughs> Honky Rink? Which I've never heard and sounds amazing. It sounds, Honky Rink. Uh, it sounds like every NHL arena in the world. <laughs> every rink right now that has a game full of honkies. Uh-huh. Um, the song features Yauk playing bass uh, through a sassy Univox Super Fuzz effects pedal and Money Mark absolutely killing it on organ. Tremendous. Uh, the music video... Oh, the music video yes. is, uh, is an homage to the 1972 concert film Pink Floyd Live at Pompeii and was recorded in Rotorua, New Zealand. The video was featured on Beavis and Butthead, who gave the song a positive review. Of so, course. There you go. Um, according to the Wiki, the song was also included in the video game Guitar Hero 5. Was it? We didn't have that one, did we? Did we get that one? I don't think so. I don't uh, think so. If you've listened to the song or you've seen... Uh, uh, ad rock play guitar it's probably not terribly complicated <laughs> no offense but that's just the way there you go. yes you could you could rack up some major guitar hero points playing this playing that 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 bass line absolutely uh we're going to uh we're gonna we're gonna tone it down a little bit here with track five More bungos. So we get five tracks in here with Lighten Up. And a, a little bit of a tone is kind of set here for what to expect later on in the album. There are some uh, lyrics, but uh, not really. This is one of my favorite PC uh, Boys tracks. Just a fantastic groove with lots of conga, organ, and clav. Awesome. And I mean, the most accomplished musician really shines, and that's, and that's Money Mark. So it's pretty good. All right. Definitely one of my faves. Lighten up. Uh, we're, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to spend too long here. We got 20 tracks to go through. Let's uh, move to track six. It's finger licking, finger licking, finger licking, finger licking, good. Probably wins for best song title on the album. Well, I mean, there's Professor Booty as well. Yeah, I, I like this one. This, uh, no, Professor Booty's better, but this is pretty close. <laughs> Though uh, there's a title later that that uh, is about you, so uh, we'll get oh, to I it though. I cannot wait. I'm not even going to try and look ahead. I can't wait until you tell me what it is. Um, finger licking good. Just a just a nice little jam. Samples on this track include uh, just like Tom Thumbs Blues by Bob Dylan. Uh, Aquarius slash Let the Sunshine In <laughs> by the Fifth Dimension. Um, Breakout by Johnny Hammond. Freaks for the Festival Festival by Roland Kirk. And Rocket in the Pocket by Sarone. So, finger licking good. Just a, just a pretty standard uh, rap and tune. Ooh, the, cur- the Colonel rap approves. Song. We do our raps and the crowd goes wild. Lovely. I mean, it can't be about anything else, right? No, of course not. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, we go to track seven, uh, the track that everybody kind of uh, fell in love with. Here we go. We got So What You Want. Yes. Yeah, the 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 mo- probably the most memorable song on the album, uh, the most popular for sure. Uh, the second single released on June second, nineteen ninety two. It peaked at number ninety three on the Billboard Hot one hundred, at number twenty six on the Hot Dance Music slash Maxi Dash Singles Sales Chart, at number eighteen on the Hot Rap Tracks Chart, and at uh, number twenty two on the Modern Rock Tracks Chart. So this is kind of like one of your uh, first true crossover hit singles, if there ever was one. Uh, B-sides on the single, an original version of uh, The Skills to Pay the Bills, the Soul Assassin remix version of So What You Want, the album version of the song Groove Homes, 
a butt-naked version of So What You Want, a live version of Groove Homes, and an all-the-way live freestyle version of So What You Want. Okay. So, so quite quite the stacked uh, CD single here. Uh, the samples on So What You Want include I've Been Watching You by Southside Movement, Just Rhyming with the Biz by Big Daddy Kane, and uh, Give It Up or Turn It Loose by Dick Hyman. Uh, according to the Wicca, here we go. You're going to be interested in this one. The music video, yes, directed by Adam Yelk's alter ego Nathaniel, Nathaniel Hornblower, simply has the Beastie Boys recite the song in a woodland area with clips of DJ Hurricane and Money Mark interspersed throughout. It was one of the first music videos to feature slow motion action while the artist's lips remained in sync with the soundtrack, an effect that would later become a mainstay of music videos. The sky has a photo negative effect and the infrared style incorporated during the band cutaways. Uh, apparently, according to the Wicca, are, are an homage to the Hunter Vision in Predator. So, thanks, Wikipedia. Well, Wikipedia always gets it right, so you can count on what they tell you. Wikipedia, super thin on Check Your Head and makes multiple mistakes. It's terrible. <laughs> so that's what you want, the uh, the classic DC Boys tune. And uh, then we kind of go to a throwaway track. I don't even know if we need to play it. The Okay. I don't think we need to. Uh, Biz versus the Nuge. A uh, track eight's a 45-second throwaway track with uh, Biz Marquis singing horribly over a sample of Ted Nugent's Homebound. Okay. It's 45 seconds. I don't even, I don't think we need to play it. What do you think? No. Here we go. Next one. No. Uh, track nine. We got time for living. Uh, music for this is a cover of the original by of an original song by 80s punk band Frontline and then the lyrics are from Sly and the Family Stone's song of the same name so it's kind of like a double cover nice uh, this is BC Boys kind of going back to their punk roots Mike D wrote about this track in the liner notes of the 1999 anthology science he wrote this <clears throat> because it was a hardcore song everyone turned and looked at me and said come on hook it up like you used to one night after much frustration over what to say or how to approach it, Mario handed me the Sony karaoke mic, along with Adam and Adam, ordered me to get loose. Not really having an idea of what to say, I remember just sort of randomly grabbing the Sly and the Family Stone fresh album and pulling out the sleeve with the lyrics for inspiration. Then I went to the next step and started to scream the lyrics from the song Time for Living over the track. Before I, know it, before I knew it, everyone was moving shit out of the way in our control room, making room for me to go buck wild. After a few takes of screaming my brains out and stage diving off the control room couch, it was done. So that's time for living. Double cover action. Beauty. Track 10. We're only halfway there. Jesus. Not even. Now we're halfway there. Now we're there. Uh, something's got to give. Another fave of mine. Just a fucking classic. Smooth, Adam. Here we go. Nice. So Ad Rock wrote about this track in the liner notes of their uh, 99 anthology, The Sounds of Science. He wrote, Something's Got to Give is one of my all-time favorites because of all the elements inside, mixing live music with samples of our live music, live vocals with samples of our vocals, the lyrics and their sentiment, and the fucked up bass. The music came from a tape of us jamming at the cold, cold practice space. Maybe six months later, we were listening back to a bunch of tapes and found this. We looped like 10 bars of music on Mike's sampler and put them into a song arrangement. Yelp wrote some lyrics, and me and Adam, Mike and Mark sang them. Mario went in the other room with a cassette of the music and sang the fucked up high pitch sound on a four track and then looped that. There's no hidden message behind the lyrics. They're pretty direct. To me, the song just sounds funky. I have a fun fact about this song. Oh, good. I want to hear it. Yes, please. For a while, <laughs> uh, iTunes Match would stream Use Somebody by Kings of Leon in the place of this song whenever I'd click on it. What? All right. No idea why. And apparently it was not just me who experienced this because when I forgot what track it used to do that to, I went and searched it and found on Apple's uh, like uh, community for tech support so many questions about why you somebody is playing when they play something's got to get, got to give. That's very interesting. We should that get... is a fun fact that you'll only get here on Albums Are Dead. <clears throat> we, uh, maybe the next episode we'll get Tim Cook on to uh, give us an explanation. What do you say? Sounds like a good idea. We'll reach out to him and be like, uh, we put a podcast on your service. Uh, don't listen to it because you would pull it down right away. <laughs> exactly. Um, we won't play track 11. It's a 32-second interlude called The Blue Nun. 
It's got samples of a record called On Wine, How to Select and Serve, featuring the voices of Kay Land, Landy, Peter Sechelle, and Warren Moran, and a beat by, of a song called Hector by the Village Callers. Uh, by the time I listed all that, the song would have been done. All right. Uh, go listen to it. It's uh, mildly funny. Uh, track 12. Is that you? Oh, that's sax. <laughs> that's you. That's me. That's how you sounded in jazz band. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, song called Sa- Stand Together. It's got some samples. Uh, samples Slivative by Backdoor, Kissing My Love by Cold Blood, and Be Black by Grady Tate. Ah, just a fun little song, and that sax is killer. And that. That, that classic DC Boys distorted rapping. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. Uh, that's track 12. Here's uh, track 13. This is an instrumental track called How. Uh, I, I think you would agree with me. This is where the album kind of gets bogged down in instrumental tracks to, to kind of end it out. Yeah, we start filling things in a little bit. A little bit. I mean, the Beastie Boys kind of had this revelation, right? Where it was like, fuck, we're really into these kind of uh, these kind of uh, retro-ish kind of uh, instrumental tunes here with the, with the big organ and the, and, the, and the funky bass. And we're just going to do like six tracks just like this. But uh, it's a good track. It's like a three-star track. There's not much to say, you know? That's fine. I agree. Uh, Here's uh, track 14, one of my uh, favorites and highly underrated. And the opener from the show. You can kiss my ass. I'm interested in you anyhow. I'm just interested in the B-Boys. So fuck you, my man. The Maestro. Yes. Uh, yeah, you heard it off the start of the, at the start. Uh, highly recommended as a, as a listen. Go listen to it all the way through. It's kind of buried here on this album, but it's tremendous. Um, samples on this track include Don't Bug Me by Tijin Chong, Jack by Lee Scratch Perry and the Upsetters, Super Touch Splash Shit Fit by Bad Brains, and a medley uh, of Socket to Me Slash It's Your Thing by The 11th Hour. Highly recommended to go give it a listen. Let's hear a little snippet. Yep. Oof, naughty, yes. naughty language. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the maestro. Track fifteen. bit of a running theme here. Uh-huh. Screw Holmes, another instrumental track, uh, Heavy Organ by Money Mark. Uh, this is a tribute to the late Richard Arnold Groove Holmes, who was an American organist who performed in the genres of hard bop and soul jazz. Nice. There you, there you go. go. That's Groove Holmes. Have like a chilled out party and just play this. Oh, absolutely. That's the kind of parties I throw at my place all the time. All the time. <laughs> uh, we're, 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 we're really pumping up the jams right now. We're rolling through these pretty quick. Uh, that's good. Uh, track 16. Right now, it's showtime at PJ's. How about a great big Thanks for coming down tonight. It's nice to see all you guys back here. Oh man, I got interject here. Yeah. I, I'm sitting in the car outside the gondola here, and a couple of beauty pooches just walked by with their with their owner going for a walk. Yep. That's a couple of nice looking pooches right there. <laughs> You're all distracted. Say. Do you have to leave? So distracted by to, dogs. To go follow them down the sidewalk like a creep. <laughs> um, live at PJ's. Samples of this one include Getting High by Richard Pryor and Change the Beat, female version by B-Side. Um, not much to say. Another, just just a solid uh, tune. Not too much. Uh, but again, we're limping into the finish line here. 
Uh, this Imagine is... this is like a 14-track album. Yeah, I know, right? That would be tight. Big-time tightness. Uh, yeah, but again, you know, coming off, I mean, this is, I, you know, I was thinking about this. I mean, in hip-hop, you don't really see a lot of hip-hop acts that kind of, you know, go through the kind of transformations that Beastie Boys did. So they're, they're kind of indulging here, I, I feel. And I'll give them a little bit of leeway. Um, uh, track 17 is just a kind of a throwaway. We won't play it. Mark on the bus. Um, uh, do you recall earlier when I said it, <laughs> a song later on is about you? Oh, I'm Mark! Oh my God, <laughs> that's you! Woo! Played. It's Mark Nishida just kind of rambling over a, over a, a beat. What, how long is that thing? Do you see it? Minute oh five. Yeah, it's not much to play. Uh, it's got a couple samples. I won't get into it. It does have a sample from a, na- a 1977 National Lampoon comedy record. So you know they they were digging deep into the crates on that one. Let's go over to uh, track 18, which is a pleasant surprise amid everything else. Yeah, I don't hang out with those guys. Man, I ain't got nothing to do with those dudes. Man, and I saw your female with them too. What's up with her? I've been hearing that she's been giving that stuff out to all of them graffiti guys. Well, shut the fuck up, Chico, man. <laughs> you paint three of those mules for some of that ass. <laughs> yes. Professor, what's another word for pirate treasure? Well, I think it's booty. <laughs> <laughs> Remember? <laughs> Can I jump in for a sec? Yes. This immediately reminds me of one of my favorite Sopranos lines ever. Yes. Where Melfi <laughs> gets yes. Big Pussy's name wrong, and she's like, "What's his name? Booty." Awesome, <laughs> great, awesome. Uh, Professor Booty. Apparently, according to the Wiki, this was a fifth single, but I think they're lying. <laughs> but they did have a release date of December fifteenth, nineteen ninety-two. If it was, it did nothing. Uh, the samples in this one include uh, a clip from the uh, what you heard at the top, uh, a clip from the nineteen eighty-three Wild Style documentary. Um, I'm going to leave you just a little more, babe, by Jimmy Smith. Give it up by Cool in the Gang. Yes. Uh, Let Your Love Light Shine by Buddy Miles. Loose Booty by Willie Henderson. Guess what what sample that is. Um, The Easiest Way to Fall by Frida Payne. And Uncle Albert slash Admiral Halsey by Freddie Hubbard. So that's Professor Booty. Um, Can I ask, do do you want to do the last two instrumentals? Uh, Let's pick one. Let's do the last. Let's do the closer. So uh, track 19 is in threes, another instrumental. It's fine. And uh, here's track 20, how we end the album. I mean, I think you're you're supposed to, like, <laughs> be on the Chiba, you know, the reefer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For this one? Yo, for sure. Namaste. Kind of inspired by, uh, by Adam Yauk's travels previous to recording the album. Uh, just a uh, just a just a, a slow groove, really, is all I can say about this. It's really, um, I mean, there's the, the running theme on these instrumentals is they're all very similar. They're all good. There's nothing wrong with them. But uh, I think personally, well, I like listening to this album. As far as playing clips of it on the show, it doesn't really lend to uh, a terribly exciting discussion when there's nothing to say. I listened to this one at the uh, Ragui Festival. <laughs> The ragu all in the soft grass. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that is track by track for the most part. Uh, Beastie Boys, check your head. Um, let's talk some reviews. Oh, please. So over time, this album has garnered generally positive reviews over time in the last 26 years, um, including it's got five out of five from all music, uh, four out of five at Q. Uh, four to five from Mojo and A minus from the AV Club. Um, in 1992, uh-huh. Entertainment Weekly's David Brown gave it a D, and here's what he had to say: "A muddled, clanking mess." The 20-track album offers the usual barrage of dumb beastie boasts, all set to sophomoric attempts at rap, lounge lizard organ riffing, and skinhead punk. The new angle is that they play all their own instruments for the first time, but the flaccid metal riffs on "Gratitude" only make you nostalgic for sampling. The Beastie Boys' first album, Licensed to Ill, was an obnoxious and funny pop culture carnival. Six years and many imitators later, it still stands as a definitive white rap album. At this rate, it will have to stand as the Beastie Boys' shining hour, too. Uh, yeah. If you're like, Licensed to Ill is like the pinnacle, you're kind of in the wrong business. Uh-huh. Um, also in 92, Rolling Stones' Kevin Powell gave Check Your Head three and a half stars out of five. He had this to say. The cross-pollination of styles on Check Your Head is, a com- is confusing at times. 
yet the album achieves distinction because of its ingenuity. Beneath the seeming chaos, the Beastie Boys have created a harmonious playground out of their musical fantasies. Uh, Rolling Stone's Jody Rosen would later uh, rate the uh, 2009 reissue uh, four stars out of five, saying some of the album's more maundering instrumentals haven't aged well, which I kind of agree, but the fuzzy, buzzy chestnuts like Pass the Mic and Jimmy James are still a blast. And I, I tend to agree with that one. Now, what would it be? There's, there's a couple of reviews that this wouldn't be complete without. First oh, of all, please, please. The Village Voice's Robert Criscow. Yes. Did not like Check Your Head. Oh, darn. <clears throat> he gave it a frowny face uh-huh. and did not elaborate any further. Oh. Now, that being said, the frowny face actually means something if you look at his, his ratings guides. And here's what a frowny, fa- frowny face indicates. That he considered it a, a, a neither, which means it may impress once or twice with consistent craft or an arresting track or two, then it won't. <laughs> All right. Fucking guy. Uh-huh. Um, in 2009, <clears throat> our friends at Pitchfork yes. gave Check Your Head a 6.7 out of 10. Ooh. Here's what they had to say. Nobody really knew at the time that numerous other stupider, more aggro bands would take the punk rap structure of Check Your Head and warp it into the testosterone-poisoned mookery of the Woodstock-torching late 90s. Nobody could predict that its meat and potatoes approach to live band rap would soon be shown up spectacular, spectacularly by the far tighter roots. And nobody foresaw that the peel of its loose garage funk instrumentals would begin to fade once Bosco Man started dap tone rolling and showed people what the pros sounded like. If you looked at it in terms of what they lost from their previous two albums, the biggest thing going against Check Your Head is its strange lack of smart-assed, literate, quick-witted playfulness that had previously informed their lyrics. You know what? Honestly, not a bad rating for what they wrote. So, all right, that's Pitchfork. Um, they like the old stuff. So, big surprise. Uh-huh. And also, Pitchfork mad about what Check Your Head influenced, which is a perfect thing for Pitchfork to be upset about. So, <laughs> anyway, Though, again, I obviously don't agree, but you know, hey, everybody's got an opinion. Okay, but then, so I'm looking at the Wick guy here. Yes. So they give it that ranking. But yes. they also rank it at number 34 on their list of the top 100 albums of the 1990s. I don't know. I often wonder, and I read through it, but it didn't really... I was looking for the thing that said, we don't like the bonus disc. Ugh. And it didn't say that. So I, you know, like, because that would kind of be like, if you were doing the reissue, you're like, well, this bonus disc is garbage. Yeah. Because it could be. I don't know. I haven't listened to it. Because most of the stuff on the bonus disc can be found elsewhere. Um yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. They, they, different writers do different things, right? Yeah. So I guess you can't really say, is, is Pitchfork a monolith? <laughs> I, don't I, know. I don't know. All right. Anyway, those are some of the reviews. Uh, not, you know, again, generally positive, but it's more fun to read the, the, the negative. Um, there was a tour. Oh, this good. Was hard to, this was hard to track down. Uh, many thanks to BeastieMania.com, which had some good uh, timelines for me. Uh, the Check Your Head tour was the Beastie Boys' first actual tour since 1987. Um, according to Beastie Mania, here's what we gleaned from this. Uh, the uh, Beastie Boys' enthusiasm to go out on the road in 1989 to promote Paul's Boutique was met with resistance from Capitol Records executives who felt that touring without having a current hit single was not worth the investment required to promote a large-scale tour. In place of touring, they decided to do a few FM radio appearances and play a handful of small venues. After a few pre-release concerts, the uh, group opened the Check Your Head tour in April 1992, playing North American dates supported by Firehose and Basshead. In early June, the second leg of the tour featured openers Big Chief and the Fooshnickens. All right. In mid-June 92, the group played through Europe and culminated culminating in, the three sh- in three shows in Italy in July, after which they returned home. Uh, in late July, they were joined by openers L7 as they played through the southern U.S., House of Pain joined the tour in August, but were dismissed after only a few shows. The Rollins Band stepped in as the second opening act to finish out the August tour dates. Uh, A few performances in Germany rounded out August, and in September, the group played smaller uh, shows in Japan. In October, the Beasties uh, played Australia, and then they returned to the U.S. after a few weeks of rest. They began their fourth leg of the tour, playing shows in the Midwest and Canada. So I assume Toronto. Um, through November, they were supported by the Rollins Band and Cypress Hill. They wrapped up on New Year's Eve in Detroit and uh, then began re- 
working on their follow-up album, Ill Communication, in early 1993. So, a uh, you know, less than a year touring, not too shabby. Right back into the studio. That's the uh, tail of the tape on the tour, my friend. Ah, busy guys. So I had some final thoughts. Um, I pretty much said all I have to say. Love this album. A uh, little bit spotty towards the uh, the bottom quarter of it, but still a good listen. Like you were saying, get some of that hashish and go to town. <laughs> um, Flood Magazine, which uh, I, I referenced earlier, had this uh, had a good kind of summed it up pretty well. So I'm going to read it. Uh, Check your head was not a blockbuster. That would come two years later when Sabotage pinned ill communication to the Billboard 200 for 63 weeks. But it did well enough to prove that there was a large previous unknown audience who were willing to follow along with the Beastie Boys' whims. The album's uh, polyglot approach would set the tone for both Grand Royal Magazine and the band's label of the same name. And the heavy step beat of So What You Want made a home for itself in the nascent alt-rock radio. But perhaps more importantly... The album transformed Horowitz, Yauk, and Diamond from burnt-out novelties into career musicians for whom the development of taste and personal responsibility were of paramount importance. The reason we were able to make that work for so long is because we did a pretty good job of being true to what felt important to us at a gut level, Diamond says. I feel somehow we honored the inner compass and it worked. A quarter century later, you can still feel what they're feeling uh, thank you, Flood Magazine, for all the uh, content today on Albums Are Dead. Do you have any thoughts, Big Man? Good album. Uh, I'm I'm with you totally. Uh, I mean, I can sit back. Like, if I'm doing stuff and I'm not paying a lot of attention, I don't mind the instrumentals. No. Um, but but in terms of an epic, like, you could stick, you know, five instrumentals elsewhere and uh, yes. really tighten this up. But uh, I don't think it hurts it. It's just uh, It just adds time. To me, think about the sheer volume of, of stuff that was recorded because um, I read to you all the B sides on the singles and it's ridiculous. Yeah, and you got those all you got twenty tracks. It's 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 a monster beast in terms of uh, trying to pair that all together. I would have maybe removed a couple of instrumentals and I would have put skills to pay the bills on it because that song fucking rules. So you know, um, otherwise though, uh, love the album. Uh, obviously, I love it because kind of grew up listening to it, but uh, it definitely stands up today. So. Uh, Give it a listen, folks. Now, here's the thing. Are you going to tell us what we're, what we're, what we're going to talk about next week? Uh, one week from now, and we're, we're so excited to come back in a week and record this. Yes, indeed. Uh, we are going to be talking about the 2001 release by Daft Punk, Discovery. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. so good. Yes, their second full-length album. One of my favorites. And uh, I hope that you will all come back. Uh, and enjoy it just as much as you did this week listening to Megamix talk masterfully, as usual, about Beastie Thank Boys. You. Appreciate it. Can't wait for you to break down Daft Punk. Uh, as we said at the top of the show, uh, you know where to find us, but uh, albumsaredead.com is the place to be if you want to listen to back uh, issues, <laughs> back past episodes. <laughs> yes. And uh, get any information you need to know, just go to albumsaredead.com. Uh, until next week. I am at Megamix.com. And I'm the Slip Man with Five Eyes or Slip. And uh, we'll see you uh, next week, folks. Good night. Bye. You'll hear us. Bye.